Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Well, hi, welcome to episode 42 of Lean Whiskey. It's Mark Graben. I'm joined in person again this time by... In person with Jamie Flinchball. Glad to, glad to see you. Glad to be here. Yeah, there's no video. We're sitting across the dining table. We're going to have the same kind of conversation we normally do. We're drinking different whiskeys. Um, we're not taking advantage of the opportunity to, to be drinking the same thing. But uh, No, but we're... we're uh, so, yeah, we can't compare and contrast, uh, but we are pulling off Mark's shelf, uh, which he gets to do all the time. Uh, but this is uh, not my first chance but uh, uh, to, to, to pull some whiskey from your shelf, but uh, it's the next chance. Well, maybe, and maybe we do end up comparing and sharing the same taste as we go here. As we always say, this is drinking whiskey. This is not um, drunk lean like drunk history. Well, like no, we're just we're having our first sip. <laughs> this is this is not drunk history, but this is kind of the roots of the whole show, right? Because we we would get together usually not uh, because it was rarely convenient, not uh, at each other's place, but we'd be in the same town, go to a whiskey bar, talk shop, turn that into a podcast, and so this is. Kind of almost a return to roots, just with microphones on. Yeah. So Jamie's passing through, and, and we're at my place in northern Kentucky, the ver- very tip of what I call bourbon country. Well, I call it the northern tip of bourbon country, yeah. um, almost to Ohio. And we're talking whiskey, and I, and I, guess, that, I guess that is our decision to evaluate our experiment last time in episode 41, if you want to tell people who didn't listen to that episode. Yeah, so, so the last episode, we decided to put the whiskey talk at the end. We don't, you know, we don't share tasty notes and go into all that stuff, but we just we talk about what whiskey we're drinking and why. Um, we decided to put it at the end. The hypothesis was that for some people that might, might not be interested, they can just stop listening at that point. So it was an experiment. It was, had good reasons, right? Can we improve the listener experience? Uh, but as, as uh, uh, there's, there's no discernible data mm. uh, that reaches any conclusion for us. Yeah, I mean, I did dig briefly into the Apple podcast data that tells you not only how many people listened and then what percentage of the episode did they consume. And, the number of people listening, it's part of the statistical noise. There's mm-hmm. no conclusion to draw. And then, uh, you know, as Jamie pointed out, if our hypothesis was true that people were going to drop off after the whiskey or before the whiskey talk, I keep getting this backward because we changed it. Now I'm confused because <laughs> we did it 40 episodes one way and then we tried it one way in episode 42. Um, the, 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 the listening time would have been lower if people dropped off after the lean talk the percentage of the episode consumed was higher. I don't know, maybe people were staying on because the whiskey talk was at the end? or I don't know if we can really conclude. I no, I, I certainly don't think we can conclude, but you, you, now, now that you say it that way, I kind of wonder, well, do people actually dialing in for the whiskey talk? Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. We don't offer a lot of tasty notes or anything, so probably not, but, um, but we do get anecdotal comments People like to hear what we're listening to. 
or what we're drinking um, you know, over time, not just in response to this experiment. So, uh, yeah. uh, and I've talked to people who, you know, they've made purchasing decisions based on mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> hearing about something that we're drinking. So, you know, it's, it's, we're drinking whiskey because we enjoy it. Um, if people enjoy hearing about it, then I'm happy to hear that too. But we don't have any firm conclusion that it makes the podcast better or worse. Yeah. And we got one person who said they liked it the way it had been. You know, we didn't get a flood of comments or feedback, and maybe people just don't really, people don't care. They're going to go along with... <laughs> go along with whatever with we decide. Whatever. So, so um, that's, what, that's what you're stuck with, uh, listeners. <laughs> you're going along with yeah. whatever we decide, which, which is to bring it back to what was more comfortable just because we've done it 40 times. And it's more, uh, so we'll, we'll talk about the spirits. I mean, this is the unhelpful way of saying it. I think the podcast, it's more about the spirit of drinking whiskey in, in a collegial, friendly way than it is the spirit yes. itself and taking a deep dive into arguing about what we smell and what we taste. Right, and, and it's all part of not taking, I'll say, the podcast too seriously or ourselves too seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're here to enjoy conversation, enjoy interacting with our listeners, and, and so uh, and enjoy the whiskey while we're at it. So we're still open to that feedback. If anybody wants to shoot us a message, mark at markraven.com or... Jamie at jflinch.com. You know, you can let us know what you think one way or another. And that feedback could be stop talking about it already and get back into the usual conversation. Yeah, we're, we're talking about podcasts. So now it's a, <laughs> now it's a podcast about podcasting. Um, that's probably not what people t- tune into. So let's... Let's start talking about the whiskey. All right. So Jamie had access, and I told him, hey, you, uh, pour anything. If it's not open yet, go ahead and open it. Um, tell, tell everybody what you chose and why. Yep. So I, I cho- chose Boone County Distilling, which is northern Kentucky. So I figure I'm, I'm here. I'm in the area. I should drink, drink something local. And furthermore, it's certainly nothing I've ever seen on the shelf. And yeah. if I saw it, I probably wouldn't know enough to buy it. Yeah, they're, 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 they're small, they're, they're new. They're about 30 minutes down the road, kind of down toward Lexington, Louisville way. Mm-hmm. So still northern, very, still pretty northern Kentucky. Right, certainly compared to the, the well-known brands. Um, and uh, so this is uh, the specific um, expression is the Amberana. Is that saying that I right? think you're saying that right. <laughs> Amberana cask finish. Um, and you said Amberana was a Brazilian wood? Yes. It's a native wood to Brazil that, as I understand it, uh, more, this is the second distillery that I've um, seen and tasted, more importantly, and smelled. Um, RD1 is a, another producer in Kentucky, that was the first Amburana cask I ever had. And then I just picked this up yesterday. It's mm. a brand new release, limited release from Boone County. Because I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, but I'm pretty sure the wood's a lot more expensive than your typical American oak. Yeah, probably. Certainly coming, just coming from Brazil, for starters. But it, it's, uh, I know we said we don't do tasting notes, but it is, it, it definitely, I'm not going to say what it tastes like, but you can tell it had an impact. You can, this this yeah. does not taste like, you know, sort of almost any other, uh, you know, whiskey I've had. So uh, it, it has an impact. Uh, the wood has an impact, and 
and you know, it's not be a daily drinker for me, but yeah. it's quite interesting and quite good. Yeah, I mean, I think the impact of the wood, it's pretty bold, and I, I always, I, and I rarely have this definitive, wait, okay, that's what I think I'm smelling moment. But with these, the Ambarana wood, I get this very cinnamony apple pie. Yeah, is and what I, I smell in particular, and it tastes spicy. It tastes spicy, I definitely get the cinnamon. Uh, I think I get the apple pie as well, but even though this isn't as distinct, I almost get a, almost a little vermouth on the nose, mm. which is really weird. I don't know where that, that would come <laughs> I mean, from. It's just, it's just uh, what the, the image that pops into my head as I take a little sniff. But that, that's the, the connection in your brain. It's reminding you of something. And right. if it reminds you of vermouth, it reminds you of vermouth. There's some compound in the wood that yep. comes out um, in, in that way. So it is a bourbon, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. I don't believe there's an age statement. Um, but it's, I didn't uh, see one. 108.8 proof for, or 54.4% ABV. Boone County. Yep. So. Good people down there when, when we've... I um, had to go uh, the opportunity to go and do the tour, and um, Josh, one of the co-founders and partners, came to the local bourbon tasting society event and talked about the whiskey. And um, he has a law enforcement background, and this is kind of his second career. So cool guy. It's always fun to meet the people involved. Oh, yeah, always. Yeah, it's uh, you know just because once you get to meet the people, you, you you buy some stuff that you might not otherwise buy, and that's. That's part of the experience. It's all, yeah. all part of the experience of, of visiting small distilleries. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm drinking. And uh, what are you drinking? So um, being in Kentucky, I'm trying to take advantage of the shipping rules and um, the ability to join a mail order program. So I'm in uh, two of those right now. I'm trying not to overdo it. But there's one, <laughs> uh, the Jim Beam this, uh, distillery, Suntory Beam um, has, has a program where I think it's quarterly. They ship you two bottles of, of new and fun and interesting releases. So I'm trying like an ounce of each. I wanted to compare them side by side. They're both bottled under the name Little Book, which is kind of a new label. Um, Freddie No is, you know, the, these are like more experimental whiskeys that he blends. Right. So uh, Freddie, I think, is in his 30s. Um, my wife and I are going to have a chance to meet Fred and Freddie No later this month. Wow. We're going down there uh, for an event. So Fred is uh, the, the father of the current father and son. There are many generations right. um, coming down the family, not all with the last name No. But uh, Freddie's the younger one, so I don't know. Maybe he's kind of the rebel. He likes to play around with uh, malt whiskey and things that you wouldn't associate with Kentucky. So these are you know two very limited production releases. The first one is called um, Curious Endeavors, and it's a blend of, of many different whiskeys with many different age statements. So um, I'm, I'm having, even with my reading, my, yeah, that's even print. with my progressive lenses here, um, I'm turning, I, I told Jamie before, I, okay, I'm making a big deal, but I'm turning 50 this month. So 50 is a big deal. Middle-aged um, eyes, and here I'm gonna hold it up close to my face. Thankfully, we're not on video. 17-year um, bourbon, 10-year uh, bourbon finished in Japanese cask. I'm not going to read. There, there's like five different whiskeys, including uh, a brown rice straight bourbon whiskey. So I'm, I'm assuming that's a, a mash bill that includes some rice yeah. in I mean, the grains. It, it's, I mean, it's, I would assume it's just, yeah, one of the grains blended with the corn. Um, 
and the rye, and probably rye, you know, that bourbon whiskey, there could be some rye, there's always sure. some malted barley, but you know, the, every, the, what they list here, it's a range from five to 17 years. So if they were to put an age statement on it, they have to go with the youngest. They have to go with the youngest. Yep. Which is uh, the five. So they're, Usually the youngest also makes up the greatest percentage. As well. Probably, yeah. So this is all bourbons, even though there's some of that rice in the, I think, the mash bill of the one. And then the second one here is called um, Chapter 7 in retrospect. This is a, a blend of bourbons and rye. There's also a five-year straight malt whiskey finished in applewood smoked barrels. So the ages here are from like four to 18 years. Yeah. So this sort of feels like, uh, you know, him, him accelerating his learning curve and developing his own style while not, you know, messing up the core brands that they are well known for. So, uh, but, you know, they have, they have a following. Yeah. Um, and I, I've already, I made a big deal about my birthday. <laughs> right, mentioned you know, Now I'm making a big deal about it. And then I'm name dropping that um, I, I'll, I'll try, I'll make sure I have a chance to ask Freddie about these releases and maybe I can report back next time. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. So about that. Yeah, it's not like he's coming over for dinner. You're going no. to a whiskey event at the distillery. in bourbon country. Yeah. So, uh, um, uh, but yeah, certainly a, a happy birthday to you. 50s in my rear view mirror, so. <laughs> not, not too far. Not too far, but uh, plenty. Um, um, and then there's, there's parts of my body that are actually 80, I think. But, um, <laughs> well, so, so I always say it's the mileage, not the age. Have you had anything replaced that's younger now? Uh, not, not full replacements, but, you know, <laughs> ACL replacement kind of stuff. But that, that was in my early 20s, so. Right, so no knee replacements, no hip replacements. If we're still doing this podcast in 10 years... It'll be old man lean whiskey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I, I do need new knees. It's just not, not quite there. Yeah. Um, the only, only other thing I'm going to say here about the two little book releases, the one that has the rye in it definitely has a little bit spicier note to it, that second one. So, as, um, as you would expect. Yeah. So kind of fun. I mean, I, I enjoy trying new whiskeys. I had someone ask me the other day the question of, like, what's your favorite? What's your go-to? I'm like, I don't really have a go-to. I don't either. I have, um, I have ones that I have, will go back and buy again. Sure. And, and I don't think I've had anything that I've probably never run out of, meaning I, I get the replacement bottle. Uh, maybe Dow Winnie 15 seems to mm. always be on my shelf. Um, it's a nice scotch. Uh, yeah. But... Um, but no, I, I guess my frustration sometimes is with these limited editions, which we're really both drinking, is you can't go buy more. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, I love this one. And then you're like, yes, you're out of luck. You're, you yeah. can't go get it. So yeah. um, that's, I, I, a lot of times I avoid this, the special editions because they, I, I can't, I enjoy tasting them. <laughs> I just try not to buy too many of them because you can't get another, you can't get another one. Yeah. Jamie doesn't want to fall in love with the whiskey that he can't. That I can't get more of. Get again. Um, All right. So those are uh, are the whiskeys. And I'll say welcome now, listener who skipped the whiskey talk. Whatever that might be. Um, So we're going to talk about, um, I don't know, this segment. And we've gotten 
more flexible with this over time. The segment is labeled in our notes in the news. I guess there were some news reports about this GE Lean Mindset event. Sure, and there's, there's plenty of past news that comes up as we talk through it, um, past yeah. and current. So it, it's still in the news, but yeah, it's not reacting to an article like we've, like we've done in the past. Yeah, but I think last time I, I did, I think I teased and mentioned that I was going to be attending this. It was in early September. I'm trying to remember if I, I can't mentioned re- it. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm not going to go listen to the whole thing to find well, out. So. I'm trying to even go back through our previous notes. But I, I, I don't, well, if I did mention it, it was just in passing at the, the beginning or the end. So GE um, really sparked by CEO Larry Culp, who just hit his uh, five-year mark. In that role, so maybe I'll just say cheers. Wow. Cheers. Uh, cheers. Cheers to Larry. that. Larry Culp, the first outsider ever hired as CEO in the long, long history of, of GE. He was kind of the spark, as I understand it, from the GE people um, to organize this event called the Lean Mindset. Um, the, the live audience there in New York City was, mo- was either GE people, suppliers, or customers. Those okay. were the main audience and the reason for doing it. But they invited uh, me, Katie Anderson, Jamie Parker, as lean influencers, if you will. They invited Jim Womack not to give a talk, but to be there, yeah, to meet people, which is you know, kind of kind of uh, neat, you know. <laughs> as he d- just described himself, this grand poobah role, <laughs> um, and and Jim was part of a, a podcast that uh, Jamie and Katie and I, we, the four of us sat down and recorded after the event. Maybe we can put that um, in the show notes, uh, a link to that. But um, yeah, they, they invited us and, and to, to be there and, and to um, interview GE people and to share about it and blog posts and stuff. But all of the videos, I mean, it was live streamed. So all of the recordings, save one, are available um, on YouTube, there's a playlist that we can link to. There's a playlist. We'll definitely link to that, um, so you can watch almost all of them, and, uh, and and not have to travel. Yeah. So you know, if people, we're going to talk about two of those videos. I'll talk about the one that they didn't, um, they weren't able to, I believe, contractually to share uh, on YouTube. We're going to talk about um, one 30-minute discussion. Um, Jim Farley, CEO of Ford in discussion with Uber's CEO, Dara Kashwahari. Uh, and then the, the second video, and, and there's, you know, I think, eight, nine sessions, yeah, nine sessions, I think. Something like that. Uh, Patty Poppy, the CEO of PG&E, the energy company um, from California. So Jamie's watched those. We're going to talk about them. Um, can I talk about the one that they... Yeah, please do. Were? So um, uh, NFL Hall of Famer Peyton Manning was one of two uh, athletes who were there to talk about elements of leadership and continuous improvement. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Milwaukee Bucks was there, and he was talking. uh, That video is available, and I encourage people to watch it. I don't know why Peyton or his people didn't want the recording uh, to be available, and I was even kind of told, like, don't mention it. But in the other sessions that day, people kept referencing back to Peyton Manning. So, yeah, look, yeah. it's no secret that he was there. It's no secret that he was there, and, and I think once you hear somebody talk, you, you, you know, I always like to reference people that came before me when and I pe- was a speaker. Pe- and, and people did that. And so, uh, you know, if nothing else, to demonstrate you were listening. Um, <laughs> but I'd imagine Peyton has his stories and has his talk, and he can 
you can trim it or extend it a little bit, but it probably doesn't change a whole lot. He's not, you know, writing a book and talking about that book. So uh, I can I can kind of understand. Hey, you're 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 paying for the, the talk, not for the promotion. Yeah. So yeah. But he was good. He had interesting things to say, and it was Larry Culp asking him questions, and and, and Peyton had good things to say about. Uh, I'll just summarize. Like, one thing he touched on was, like, have you earned the right to be a leader? Mm-hmm. Like, you, sh- you probably just shouldn't assume that because I have a position. In this right. case, that position was quarterback. Like, it, you, have, you, you have to earn the right to lead. You have to earn people's trust or respect. Yep. Is that fair to say, generally speaking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a title gives you the right to fire somebody. It gives you the right to yeah. give them a performance review. It gives you the right to... Um, to make decisions, but it doesn't give you the right to lead, um, you know, because they people don't have to follow you. Mm. <laughs> um, so, so I, I think that that's you know just as true in sports as it is in in anything else. And um, you know, quarterback can call the play, but you know, mm. it's not just whether you follow the play; it's how you follow the play with how much concentration and conviction and everything else. So I. I, I think that's certainly is a credible credible voice and yeah. telling that telling that story. So pretty pretty cool. And he's of course you know well spoken, uh, really comfortable uh, being you know making fun of himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> along the way, as you can see, and and doing so for you know while while having commercial success along the way. Yeah, yeah. And he's now. I mean, he's media. He's doing the. Uh, alternate Monday Night Football, right. ESPN2 with him and his brother Eli Manning yep. um, talking over the games, which I mean, they'll, I mean I've, I've, I've tuned into some of that. It's kind of a fun alternative to traditional announcing. Yeah, that's the beauty of streaming is we can, you know, we have one camera, <laughs> but we can have a bunch of different ways to consume that. And that's, that's a pretty neat example of uh, some creative, uh, a creative dynamic. So uh, yeah. with the, the Manning brothers. So. Yeah. So lean, lean thought leader Peyton Manning. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the interesting thing, like the, the themes and the threads, whether it was him or um, you know, the famous chef Wolfgang Puck or, or Giannis from the NBA, um, the commissioner of the New York, uh, the fire department of, of New York, um, there, there were a lot of common themes, even if they weren't using explicitly lean language. And I think that's part of what GE was trying to bring to people. Yeah, I, I, th- I think... Um you know, it, it's it's interesting because there's there's people out there that will have a very uh, sort of hardcore, even dogmatic view of what lean is and is not. And you know, if Toyota doesn't do it, it doesn't count. Kind of an approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have others that sort of think, well, if it's good, it equals lean. Mm. And mm. and sort of this almost co- too generic, lean. almost too generic, and almost co-opting all other things under a lean banner. And and I, you know, I, I think. There's there's lean aspects. There's lean dimensions. There's you know, and in the end of the day, you know, lean is about you know learning, experimentation, and growth. And so, even if these aren't all lean examples, they're about learning, experimentation, growth. So um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, obviously they curated who they wanted to come mm-hmm. speak. So uh, it, it, it's not about learning who's better at you than lean in lean, which really isn't the goal anyway. But learn from things, be inspired by it, uh, challenge assumptions, challenge ideas, be creative, and then move forward. Yeah. And 
you know, in, in their spirit, right? They, they want their customers to do better. If the customers do better, they have, you know, they, they can ride that, that wave. They want their own teams to do better. And yeah. they, of course, want their suppliers to do better. So they yeah. invite people in a deliberate way to help, help their own ecosystem. So let's talk about the discussion between the CEOs of Ford and Uber. Um, Dara from Uber was there in person. Jim from Ford, the intent was to be there. He connected via video, and Jamie, you have a better perspective on this, of, of why he decided not to travel to New York. Yeah, and he, he did say, you know, hey, we're, we're preparing for uh, pending UAW strike. Um, which of course now he's in, so I, I think he felt he could give up the half hour, yeah. uh, but he couldn't give up a trip to New York. Uh, I'm sure even though he'd probably fly into Teterboro and, <laughs> um, uh, and fly back and it wouldn't be that hard, but, uh, but yeah, that, it's, a, uh, it, it's a big moment for Ford and the big three going on. And he didn't talk about it much. He, he certainly talked about the people of Ford in the interview. Um, and he's, he's made more comments, of course, now that the strike is on. Yeah. Uh, but this is an unprecedented strike mm. um, in the way that things are going down, just like we saw with the Writers Guild yeah. in Hollywood. Was, it was definitely sort of uh, maybe less unprecedented. But yeah. so many ways, you have a, a very new UAW leader who is not part of the system that has been unfortunately seen as, not seen, proven as with corrupt players. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the system's corrupt, there's just been corrupt players. I mean, people have gone to jail. People have gone to jail, right. Right. this isn't just yeah. a yeah. side opinion. So, um, so some real problems in the UAW, so he comes in as a new face, and right out of the gate, he says, I'm gonna do things differently. So the traditional CEO handshake uh, with the UAW leader was dismissed. I'm not shaking the hands with people I'm about to do battle with. And striking against all three automakers at once yeah. is a brand new thing. So, yeah, and, and the, this has been accelerating over the past month, right? Of the very limited strikes. See, this is in the news. That's what we call yeah, it. Yeah, this, this is in the news. So, right, very limited strikes. And now, um, as we're recording this on October 13th, they just struck very recently down in Louisville, yep, right? in the, the Kentucky uh, truck plant, and it was, uh, again, they're trying to keep Ford and the big three off on their toes, because um, every other strike, uh, every other plant-specific strike, they've announced first and then done. Mm -hmm. This was not announced. They just told their membership to walk. Yeah. And it's their largest plant, and uh, they basically said, hey, Ford, whether it's true or not, is irrelevant, but yeah. Ford came back with a counteroffer. It was the same counteroffer that they gave us last time. That's unacceptable. We're gonna signal, and this is the whole point, we're gonna signal our, our uh, dissatisfaction with that uh, latest proposal by expanding the strike. Mm. And uh, you know, the, for those that pay a little attention to this, but are sort of you know, well on the periphery of the auto industry, the history was always the UAW would look at which automaker was the most vulnerable, strike or, or negotiate with them first, and then the other automakers would essentially copy that contract and, and yeah. move forward. Instead, they're basically knocking everybody off their feet and uh, looking for the best deal they can get, not just with all three, but also the first 
to really give them a good deal that they that they want. But there's a lot of things on the table. Um, strike, I can't remember how many weeks it's into now, but more than a couple. Yeah. Um, and but there's there's a lot of moves that are are new mm-hmm. uh, in this, and yeah. so you know they've they've already got they have gotten some concessions such as not just the pay, but uh, a commitment to make battery plants UAW plants. Mm-hmm. I think that commitment was from Ford, if I remember correctly. That's so, been one of the big sticking points. Definitely yeah. a big sticking yeah. point, right? Just just like the Writers Guild was worried about AI. Um, UAW's worried about battery plants. And am I right? And I, I think what I've heard is with shifting from internal combustion engines to battery propulsion, there are literally fewer parts, therefore fewer jobs there to are. begin with. Yes. So few, less labor content. And then is that going to be farmed out versus done in-house? UAW wants it done in-house under UAW contracts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and not sure it should be. <laughs> not sure that makes good economic sense. Not just dollars and cents, but are we going to be really good at batteries, right? Mm-hmm. Or do we want some, you know, external companies getting really good at batteries? So yeah, a lot to be worked out there. But um, certainly this was on uh, Jim Farley's mind as yeah. uh, he was he was speaking. So, uh, but uh, you know, for for doing a. a <laughs> Uh, while, while Dara was uh, sitting in front of an audience and, and Jim was just on screen, I think they, they did their best to make that seem yeah. natural. And they sort of peppered questions back and forth yeah. of each other. Well, it was a good conversation. And I mean, I got the sense they, they knew each other to some extent. They, I think they both came, became CEO at about the same time. And Ford and Uber have had different business partnerships. So yeah. there was some familiarity between the two. But like one thing, this was actually later in the conversation. Um, one thing back to Jim Farley, who, by the way, is a cousin of the late comedian Chris Farley of SNL fame and movie fame. Um, but Jim Farley was talking about you know, visiting all of the factories, going to Gemba, if you will. That was mm-hmm. one of the handful of Japanese words that was being thrown around. Right. That day, but you know, he talked. He, he said, I, "I was impressed with some of the, like, direct language he was using around some of the problems." He said he was at Kansas City plant the day before. It was 130 degrees inside the plant, and he's looking and he's aware of the importance of issues like that. He said um, he, he he asked about food and the washrooms, and he said, "You know, it sounds really weird to talk about that." But the dignity of the workplace wasn't acceptable. That bathrooms were terrible. They had stopped serving hot food, uh, probably because of COVID. And it seems like they weren't getting back to that. So I mean, those those are really like really frontline employee issues that a CEO might not ever care to look into. Right. It's it's um, I, and I think that's important. And you can we'll just put aside all the the, the big ticket items that they're battling in negotiation now. Um, but the, you know, the UAW, UAW wasn't going to give him a pass just because he goes to visit a plant. Sure. But you know, he talked about you know empathy of your decisions impact on 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 people, mm-hmm. right? And it certainly seems no question that that's a mindset he he brings to the table. Will you agree with all those decisions? Maybe not. But but have some empathy for what people are are, are going through, what they're doing, what their work conditions are, and. Yeah, when you go to a plant, you look at the food being served, you kind of go, that's, that's not my, my issue. But if you look at it 
from an empathetic lens, you kind of mm -hmm. go, well, what, what should be the case? What's right? Yeah. right? And you know, sometimes, you know, if you're, whether you're a plant manager or you know, you're the, the services manager inside a plant, you may not know what your degrees of freedom are. Mm. And you might go, hey, I've got a budget and this is the best I can do with what I have until someone comes in, comes in like Jim and says, I don't, I don't care about that. This is the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's not, I'm not blaming the, you know, the current management of that plant for the conditions they were in, but they might have been operating under the assumptions that mm. they had lived with, which is a big deal for, for Larry Culp. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Is, are the assumptions of GE of the past the assumptions we should live by going forward. Yeah. Well, and you know, Larry had spent uh, how long was it? From 2001, was it 15 years he was CEO at Dana Herb? Uh, this sounds right. 12 that, to 15 years. Yeah, I know he took the job in 2001, right when Jeff Immelt became CEO right. at GE. But um, you know, I think having an outside perspective is is helpful, and if you realize um, that you're walking into a situation that's different than you had left. So for those who don't know, Jim Farley spent 17 years at Toyota. That was his first job out of college. In At the session, you can see this in the video, he talked about his family, really hated him yeah. for joining Toyota because he Genuinely. came from a Ford family. Right. And I think hourly workers, and like, so right. there was all this, like, how dare you go to a, not just a competitor, I'm sure there was this element of, well, it was a Japanese competitor. Unquestionably, that was part of it. And, and it, it was a, uh, not like he got teary-eyed or anything, but it was, you could tell he wasn't kidding when he mm -hmm. said his family wasn't all talking to him. Oh, it wasn't this jokey throwaway no. thing of like, no, it sounded it, like there was some real tension. There were some real problems there, yeah. so. It, it, it took a lot for him to do that, but he, he wanted to learn. He wanted to do things differently, and he felt that was a good place to go do it. So, uh, so he, he certainly learned, uh, you know, as, as everybody does that actually works in Toyota, you may not always know that what, what's happening there is different, but he, he, he learned how it was, at least, yeah. and, and carried a lot of what he learned there mm -hmm. forward into his, his role at Ford. And, you know, Larry Culp last year at the AME conference in Dallas talked about when he came in to G as an outsider, he recognized, I'm sure, you know, he was told or, you know, however, you know, recognized that it was, as he described it, a shoot the messenger kind of culture. And he was trying, you know, to think of how to navigate that, how to shift the culture to one where bad news could travel more freely more quickly, you know, Jim Farley compared, you know, he, he described Toyota as a bottom-up culture. The bottom of the company really runs things. And then he came in the Ford and said, oh, it was a very top-down yeah. culture. And he couldn't just deploy the Toyota model. He couldn't impose that, as yeah. he put it, onto Ford. Yeah, and you almost think that's why he was hired, right? But. Um, <laughs> But, but he, he, was, he was very aware that, you, you know, you, you can't turn a ship based on, you know, over 100 years of, of history mm -hmm. on a dime, especially yeah. if you're talking about the very soul or the underlying culture of that enterprise. Yeah. Um, but he is very clearly pointing out, you know, so he, he's still very open about what he thinks is broken, what he thinks is wrong, what he thinks isn't working. 
um, in that. So that was one example of things that he said, you know, yeah, this is not working. Um, he also said, you know, that they're currently stuck on problem solving. Um, yeah, I thought this was great. I, yeah, it was really fascinating because he said we're, we're really good at describing a problem, <laughs> but not at understanding the root cause. Mm -hmm. And and so um, th this goes back to what I say many times. Problem solving isn't a skill. It's actually a whole bunch of skills <laughs> yeah. bundled together. And so he's recognizing, hey, we are good at part of it. We're not good at other parts of it. And it has the whole company stuck is basically what he was saying. It wasn't just saying that we're stuck at problem solving on a problem solving journey. It's like, no, Ford is stuck yeah, uh, because of our problem solving capability. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty blunt. You know, going back to my notes here, he said um, people were not getting better at problem solving over their careers. Yes. Um, you know, he said, um, you know, I imagine, and, and there was a phase, this goes back to when Alan Mulally came in as CEO, and this, this probably was touched on during the event of you know, the famous story of everybody was reporting green status. Yes. And when we talk about Patty Poppy, she made reference to this of, of, um, of you know, celebrating the red, or at least letting the red be talked about candidly. Um, so there was probably this era where people didn't want to admit problems. But then, you know, you, there, there, there could be a different problem where you're just talking about the problem and not taking the right action. And Jim Farley, I thought this was really insightful. He said, um, don't describe the problem beyond what's necessary for root cause analysis. Yeah. I'd never heard anyone say it exactly that way. No, I, 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 I agree. I think um, he, he's taking a look at problem solving, um, not just saying, hey, I want it. Go train it. Right? He's, yeah. he's really looking at it hard, saying, you know, how, what's, what's working, what's not, and how we, how we solve problems in this case. And, and so I, I appreciate his, uh, I'll say granularity, in mm -hmm. getting into what, what do we need to do differently um, in, in core capabilities like problem solving. So, yeah. But then there's also strategic moves, and, and you, you might think of a CEO focusing more on the strategic, like the shift they're making big bets on electric vehicles and, and you know, some of what's required to make that happen. What, what, were your, what were your reactions to that, Jamie? Yeah, so you know, they obviously uh, are putting a lot of energy into electric cars. Um, uh, whether you like the Mach-E or not is a personal choice, right? right. But, but they somewhat famously laid off a lot of, not hourly workers, but engineers mm -hmm. who were you know, on the internal combustion engine side yeah. Um, so he, he really talked about, you know, hey, it's still Kaizen, but it's a huge revolution, you know, switching to le you know, electric cars. Um, and, and so they, I think they first sort of signaled that they're letting go of one rope before they grab the other. <laughs> yeah. At least trying to. And, and that's, it's not just, hey, we're going we're gonna to experiment with electric cars, try to do some things. And then once we're really sure, then we'll take our eye off the ball in internal combustion, he said, no, 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 we're, we're putting both eyes on electric. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a, you know, we, we love small improvements. We love small steps in, in, in lean environment. There's a, a quote that I, I actually often, I think, misattribute who said this, but mm -hmm. apparently David Lloyd George, I had to relook it up, 
So don't be afraid to take a big step if one is indicated. You can't cross a chasm in two small jumps. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and I've always I've always I carry that around. I use that quote often because there's a lot of times I'm encouraging people. They're trying to work on a big change. I'm encouraging them to break it down into small steps. But not all things can be done in small steps. And yeah. this is one that he feels well, is radical change. Yeah. Uh, not not to get too sidetracked on this, but I mean, in healthcare, there are a lot of situations where you should not be trying to tweak and refine a fundamentally broken process. There's a time where you need to just go back and reinvent. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I'm not sure there's a good algorithm for how to make that decision. Yeah. It's, it, you need some intuition based on experience, but... Uh, but but that that fundamental you know when am I when am I tearing down the foundation, um, and uh, and when am I just trying to you know put a new wall up mm. inside the foundation? Yeah, is a big choice in problem solving and, and strategy. Yeah. Then you know the other thing that stood out to me about what Jim Farley talked about was you know culture, and there was a, a really strong theme during the day that lean is not about tools. Right. That's about mindsets. That's why they use that word throughout the day. They had Carol Dweck, the author of the book Mindset, mm -hmm. about growth mindset, and, and that was a theme throughout the day. But um, you know, he's talking about culture and trying to shift that culture, evaluating the behaviors of their top 500 leaders of like, can, can you change? Can you adapt? Um, he said a lot of these behaviors that they, they need are not natural for the Ford team. And you know, the other comment that I, I highlighted from, from what he said was he said, lean is such a big bet for us, it's non-negotiable. Um, but then the other thing, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, he said something to the effect of, where's the comment, like, oh, we're very early in our lean journey. I'm like, have they been very early in their lean journey for 30 years now? I, I think he's saying those were bad journeys. Bad journeys. So false starts. False starts. Yeah, and I, th I think that's fair. I see a lot of companies that you know have you been doing some lean things for twenty or thirty years, or are you only now on a good path? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think fundamentally that's that's kind of what he's saying. Um, mm. You know, in a lot of ways, GE's journey got you know hit the reset button when Larry showed up. Right. Uh, it's not like they weren't doing, you know, there was plenty of people out there with lean in their job title. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, but and, and they had shifted from Six Sigma only to lean Six Sigma. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and some lean stuff in pockets, but mm -hmm. still you know, very different, you know, tone or approach or vector when, when Larry came in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's Jim's, Jim's mindset here is that you know, whatever, whatever we were doing wasn't really a lean journey. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, if you look at the evidence, I think in his mind that, uh, yeah, we're, we're early at this. We don't get to count, count the clock yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. just, because, uh, just because we had done stuff that had, you know, 1990s dates on it. So, yeah, right. So, I, you know, I, I've always said, you know, to make lean successful, the two most important ingredients, you have to get the behaviors right. Mm -hmm. and you have to have leadership engagement, mm -hmm. not just leadership support. Yes. There, yeah. I, you know, I'm not there. I, I get a very clear sense that he's engaged. Um, he's leading it. He's leading it. He's out yeah. in front. He's taking risks. Um, he's not just saying, yeah, lean's good. He'll support a team, um, give a talk, and, and off he goes. He's yeah. really 
you know, he's analyzing his own culture mm-hmm. um, and trying to fix it. So yeah. I, I think you know, whether he's going to be successful or not, I'm not going to make a bet on. I'm not close enough to know. But he's engaged. I think that, well, that part came out clear. Engaged and leading it. And there's a common theme of what Larry Culp has talked about. He's leading the lean transformation right. at GE. Jim Farley is. Patty Poppy, when we uh, come back to talk um, about her. Um, other other CEOs who were making clear they're responsible for the culture and the transformation and, 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 and the mindsets. Um, but one, you know, one other mindset, and this may be back to old habits, maybe the last thing to cover about you know, Jim Farley and we talk about um, Uber, um, a, you know, very different kind of company, very different situation. But you know, Jim Farley was talking about how he would go to the plants and people were defensive as, as he kind of bit my tongue there a little bit, <laughs> defensive at first. And he said people would tell him there's no waste in our plants, <laughs> which I, that's a, to me, that's a laugh out loud that, comment. That is right? a laugh out loud comment. And so tell me, I mean, we, we both worked in other automakers that had a lot of that mindset. What's your recollection of, of what, how and why people would say there's no waste here? I, I think, you know, as far as why they would do it, I, 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 you could say it's ego and pride and things like that. I actually think it, it comes down to false accountability. What I mean by false accountability is, um, you know, am I going to get beat up mm. for the waste that's there? Just, you know, I, I may not know how to solve it yet. I may be willing to talk about it, but I don't know how to solve it yet. But as soon as we talk about it, we're going to be held accountable for it. And it's a little unfair mm-hmm. because... Some of it's not your waste, it's just, it's always gonna be there. And I'll, I'll give an example from Ford's past. Is I, this is, goes back 20 years, but I had worked with suppliers to Ford who said Ford would send in value stream mappers <laughs> who would look at their supplier plant and say, we believe there's enough waste here that <clears throat> prices could come down 20%. Yeah. So yeah. we're gonna change the cost to us by 20%, and then your job is to take the waste out. And I'm being cynical, which doesn't mean I'm wrong. Some executive might have told those value stream mappers, do you need to say that there's opportunity to reduce 20% because that executive wanted it reduced by 20%. Oh, yeah, I, I think uh, whether the arrogance came from above or came from the person, it, it, from, from, from the supplier standpoint, it came from Ford, right? Yeah. And, and it was like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna we're going to basically uh, hold you accountable for the for the waste before you even know a pathway through it. Yeah. It sounds like an, an Ignacio Lopez approach yes. with some lean labels yes. involved. Yes, a- absolutely. Right? So, um, so I, I think that's where that comes from, is this uh, detached leadership without support uh, rather than an acknowledgement that the work is hard. Yeah. So let's go do hard things, mm-hmm. but... Let's, let's know that it is hard work and we're all in it together rather than just yeah. setting targets for people. Yeah, and, and what's easy is just demanding a lower price. And, and people, if you're not familiar with uh, Ignacio Lopez and his time at GE, uh, GM, GM and uh, Volkswagen, uh, you know, there's lots of interesting stories you can go read about Ignacio Lopez. But that was back in the era of just beat up the supplier, demand lower price. Yep, right? Ab- ab- yeah, and, and I think personified in him. He, he probably hit the, hit the pinnacle of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think 
so badly that, that I, th I think the industry did try to change just in the wake of his, of his failures. Yeah. So um, Jamie and I, you know, we talked about Uber CEO, Dara Kashawahari in episode 39. And, you know, there have been a couple of articles. I'm like, oh, there's a PR blitz because it was in the <laughs> Wall Street Journal. It was in other publications of the CEO is driving as an Uber driver. He's delivering food through Uber Eats. And I think I had a fairly, you know, kind of cynical, like, oh, this is just a PR stunt. And he discovered all these things. Why didn't he just listen to the drivers who might have already been, who already were, not might have, they were already complaining about these things. Uh, I'll, I'll hold back my comments. I came away with a little bit better impression mm -hmm. from the comments he made in person. What, what was your reaction, Jamie? Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, this doesn't work. It's another thing to experience how much it hurts when it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's no way for him to experience it fully. Like, hey, if I turn down this drive, I'm going to, you know, have trouble paying my rent kind mm -hmm. of thing. So, um, so you can't get completely empathetic to under, truly understand what people are going through. But um, I got the sense that the spirit of it was not a PR stunt. Yeah. He, he definitely, whether it's the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, or could have done it better, the spirit in which it was done definitely felt a lot more genuine from his, his exp explanation rather than the stories that were, were written. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, you could just be telling a good story. But yes, I, I, I got the sense it was a much more genuine mm -hmm. thing. And you know, not, you, understanding that something doesn't work and understanding why it doesn't work mm -hmm. so you can make it better can be different things. Yeah. And, and I think he got a good sense of, uh, you know, he can probably speak up in conversations uh, before it hits the, the drivers yeah. <laughs> with a little better perspective of what it looks like from that side. Yeah. So, you know, as he told the story, uh, it started first with delivering food. I mean, it was during pandemic times and his, his phrase was, I wanted to get the hell out of the house, which I'm not going to ask why. You know, it's just, okay, I was probably just get out of the house. Probably, probably just had nothing to moment. do with any of the uh, other people in, in that house or not. But um, you got to be careful saying stuff like that. Yeah, I needed no. to get the hell out of the house. <laughs> but I, 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 I get it. I was home a lot during that time. So he got an e-bike and he was delivering food. And, you know, I mean, I, the, the thing that came across to me much more positively um, in his telling of it at the event, he, he said, you know, very few of their employees actually drove for Uber or delivered for Uber Eats. So what I, like from the articles, what I took away was like, oh, he wants to be seen as like the genius who understands things. And I saw it firsthand. And, but he was trying to set an example. And, and that hadn't come across to me, or I, I just didn't read that properly. Um, he wanted to set an example so that it wasn't just he as the heroic CEO, right. but getting others who were building these apps that people use for them to go yeah. and experience it firsthand. To me, that was much more positive and much more um, you know, admirable. You know, he said you know, everyone used the, the Rider app he said, but he said they didn't take as much pride as a company in the driver product. Right. Right. So I mean, I, I thought that was that was interesting. Um, you know, to go 
not just manage off of KPIs, but to go see what was really actually happening and to encourage others to go follow his lead. Right. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I, I think that's, that's enough. It's, it's when you lead from the front, you have to at least be willing to do the thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so if this was the behavior he wanted, he needed to sort of demonstrate it mm -hmm. and demonstrate that it, it, it had to be material enough, right? Not just a superficial, yeah, I talked to a, I talked to a couple drivers, yeah. but actually, no, go, go really get close um, and understand what's going on there. So in terms of setting that example, um, I assume he got to narrate a lot inside the company about why he was doing that and, and then what he expected as a result. And that it was for everybody, not just for, uh, you know, not just for him, and not just for them. Yeah, and you know, he, as he said in, in his comments there, um, it's now a point of pride among employees that they drive and they get a badge on their profile, probably whatever uh, directory system that they have. But you know, as he said, you know, leaders have to set the example. Um, but then, you know, I think the other thing that was interesting. Um, he, he gave a presentation to an all-hands meeting, as he described it, why we suck. Yeah. Dis that, that's, it's, um, <laughs> and, and, and it's important. It wasn't why you suck. It wasn't even <laughs> why Uber sucks. It sure. was why we suck. Mm. And, and I think it was uh, really me meant to be a call to arms um, on it. I, I, it as soon as, you know, as I hear that story, it reminds, there's a, I don't know if you read the Max Dupree books, but they were... Uh, Leadership is an art, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, really popular. My, my dad had one of those from his time at GM. Little thin little book, yeah, but wasn't that, good, yeah. good stuff. Good stuff. Um, but one of, one of the quotes that uh, I always took from it was, the first responsibility of a leader is to define current reality. The last mm -hmm. is to say thank you. In between, mm -hmm. the leader is a servant. And, and so that first part, right, define current reality... Just like Jim was kind of like, hey, we're, we're, we're not good at this aspect of problem solving. Dara's saying, you know, we're not that good. You know, he's saying a lot of things, but we're not that good at understanding the real problem. Um, yeah. And, and part of that has led to strategic focus for Uber. Um, and that, that's, I think, why you know, Dara and Jim know each other is Uber's kind of saying, yeah, we're not a car company. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we shouldn't be making cars. We're going to focus on the yeah. service that we provide. Yeah, Dara said, hardware is really hard, so we're gonna let you, Ford, and others build the hardware. We, yeah. can, we can iterate more readily you know, with software. But um, back, you know, back to the idea of culture change and defining the real reality, um, you know, Dara you know, came in, um, the founder of Uber, there was a lot of scandal personal and, and otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, he came in from Expedia, and you know, trying to help drive culture change. And he told people basically, here, here you know, I don't know if you use the word mantra or the mindset, do the right thing, period. Yes. And he said, we're putting our trust in you to understand what doing the right thing means. And, and there's some responsibility with that. There's no handbook that spells out all of the things that, that would be uh, under that banner of doing the right thing. And he described, he said, the old culture was all about growth. And he was pretty blunt. He said, doing the right thing means slowing down some of that growth and doing better background checks mm -hmm. on the drivers. Yep. But it was the right thing to do. It hurt the business in the short term financially. 
but I'll give them you know credit. You know, if 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 too many Uber customers are having a bad experience, God forbid, an unsafe experience, they're either going to stop using ride sharing altogether, or they're going to go to Lyft. Yep. You know, so it's back to like to me, Toyota thinking of long short term versus long term perspective. It seemed mm-hmm. like he was being like, you know, saying, you know, being principles based might hurt us in the short term, but it's the right thing for the long term. Yeah. I admire that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh and he's demonstrated through some decisions, right? So it's one thing to say it, right? It, but he's demonstrated <laughs> through some yeah. decisions that he means it. So yeah. uh whether you know, again, it's hard to always know what the right thing is, but he's saying this is what we should aspire to do and 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 he's he's yeah, not just saying it, he's trying to demonstrate it, lead by example. So, uh, you know, I'll give him, you know, give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. Any, anything else that comes, stands out from you about the, the, the Ford and Uber conversation? No, no, I think that was, uh, I mean, they could have been two separate conversations, honestly, but uh, yeah. um, that's, that, that's okay. They were comfortable wow. asking each other questions and, and uh, I think it went well, so we can... We can probably move on to who's next. Yeah. So Patty Poppy, the CEO of PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric. Maybe, Jamie, should have you introduce more because you, you actually have a little bit of personal experience here, right? Yeah. I, I, and I, I know Patty. Um, I, she and I actually first met her when she was at DT Energy. Um, and I was at DT Energy, but at a different time. So I, mm. I predated her. But we had the DT Energy operating system, and she came in. Uh, to DT Energy, we had mutual friends, and I met her. Met her then. And, and, and real quick, sorry to interrupt. She's an industrial engineer who started at General Motors. Yeah. So there's some auto industry roots. Yes, and and especially for the two uh, major utility companies in Michigan, um, there's plenty of ex-automotive mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, folks, just like my path from Chrysler to DT Energy uh, worked. And so, um, yeah, so I I, I knew her uh, from her time at DT Energy. Um, it was very clear that her leadership and her role at DTE stood out among her her peers. Mm. Um, you know that that part was clear. Uh, you know she went on to CMS, which is kind of the western side of the state. Uh, DTE has Detroit. Yeah. Um, they have a whole lot more than Detroit, but Detroit's where things have to get figured out. Um, she moved on to CMS and, and, and was the CEO there and. You know, it, it, to this day, you know, we both have relationships with the uh, Michigan Lean Consortium. Mm-hmm. Uh, Consumers Energy or uh, CMS have been heavily involved uh, over the years in that in that group with a, a genuine lean lean effort. Um, so she had uh, really made it um, made lean a part of that company. Mm. Um, she had made. You know, leadership of people, and I say it that way on purpose, like uh, not just leadership of an organization, but leadership of people mm. a priority. And, you know, it came through around, you know, pride and what people could do. And, you know, it could be anything. It could be a charity event. could be a special moment. could be doing a hard job. She, she was really there showing appreciation, showing respect and engagement mm. with her, her team. And then, you know, then she, from there she went on to perhaps the hardest job in the utility industry um, at PG&E. Yeah. And, and she came in there uh, about two and a half years ago. They had been sued into bankruptcy because of fires that were started 
yes. by, by, by their equipment yeah, uh, so and some their of the, lines. Some right? of the really worst forest fires uh, or wildfires in California that had been triggered. Um, I mean, the underlying cause is really dry. <laughs> sure. Really dry land. And then, you know, a, a, any failure you have in your electric grid is going to result in, in a bad outcome. And, and this is on the back of, I don't say the back of isn't, it came immediately after, but they, they had a history of, they blew up, I forget the name of the town now, but they blew up a town oh. with natural gas. Oh my gosh. Years before, you know, lots of fatalities. They, they have, I mean, they, there's been whole Senate panels just for PG&E. Um, uh, so they have, there's, there's few companies that have been through the ringer hmm. and um, you know, if you're another business, you rebrand, you move to a different market, <laughs> you, but you can't. What do you say? Oh, we're not going to serve Northern California anymore. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, that's, that's your mission. Um, yeah. So you can't run away from it. It's super hard. It's an incredibly, you know, litigious and regulated state. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I, you know, they, we've seen, uh, I don't say a revolving door, but uh, you know, we've seen a lot of CEOs. We've seen a lot of apologies. Um, what's interesting, I can't remember if she had followed him immediately or not, but the previous CEO of, of DTE Energy, Tony Early, had, had gone over to uh, take control of PG&E. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think she might have followed, been the, the next person mm -hmm. in line there. So, mm -hmm. um, so big job. Really big job, probably the biggest in that industry. Yeah. And what, well, I mean, there were many things I was impressed with, uh, with what Patty said, but one was talking about back to this theme of culture and um, lean tool. She, she was talking about how, you know, lean was not theoretical, that they were working on the most important problems. With, to me, that. That's a Taiichi Ono comment, back to his yeah. book on TPS. Start from need yes. was one, how one chapter was headed, and then it said deeper in the most pressing needs. And so you know, she talked about this operational turnaround and not doing lean tools for tool's sake or not to count how many Kaizen events were being done. That It sounded like she really drove them to deploy this lean operating system and this lean playbook and the problem solving on these most important problems. And she, she said, and she's right to be proud about this, a 68% reduction in what she called ignitions, fires being started mm -hmm. through this, and then 99% reduction in the acres burned. Yes. And, and, and so she's not pretending it's, they're not accountable. Mm -hmm. She's not pretending it's zero. She's saying, here's where we are. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, unprecedented transparency uh, because, you know, you can't just shut off the electricity. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just say, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to not serve electricity for a few months because it's dry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll come back to you in winter. Uh, but incredible transparency uh, internally, internally and externally, right? And, and I think... You know, I, I have a little familiarity of old PG&E, um, and I won't go into all the reasons why, but, but internal transparency wasn't even there. And mm -hmm. now you have, you know, internal transparency and external transparency. Here's our problems. 
let's go do the hard work. Mm. And, and, you know, from a lean familiarity standpoint, right, she's not just, just like Jim, right? He's like, I'm not just, oh, we're bad at problem solving. No, this is the way in which we're bad at problem solving. Yeah. Intimate familiarity with the challenge they face. You know, she, she says, hey, your Gemba is really hard when you cover two-thirds <laughs> right. of, of, of California. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you have this distributed workforce. Most of the work isn't in power generation. It's in, you know, maintenance. It's distributed work. It's in serving that, that giant network of wires that go everywhere um, all over, you know, most of California. And... You know, you go work in a factory and you worry about the end on cord and you worry about when leadership steps in. She's like, there's not, there's basically, there's not enough leadership to go around to cover that distributive workforce. Yeah. So we need our, our, we need to allow, not just allow. I think that's that's important. Mm. We can't just allow our our people to make decisions. We have to equip them to make mm. decisions. Yes. Yeah. And that's our job because. They're, they have to make decisions. Our job is to equip them to do that well. Yeah. I, I think that is in, in, incredibly poignant. It's not just empowerment for empowerment's sake. And it's not about being nice or forgiving about the red, if you will, the problems. So, you know, Patty used this phrase that came up a bunch, this idea. She put it, red is good, um, which makes me think, like, is 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 good the right well we, I don't know like are we celebrating the red or are we acknowledging the red I I mean red is the real reality we need to deal with it I don't know if that makes it quote unquote good yeah I, um, I don't I don't love the phrasing of that either yeah. I think um, you know the fact that we see red is good the fact that we can actually talk about it is good yes so but but. Yeah, so transparency is good. Um, yeah. Admitting mistakes or failures or problems is good. Yeah, and she talked about that. She didn't use the phrase psychological safety, but she talked about making it safe yes. for people to speak up when things go wrong. And then you know, following up on the red is good comment, um, I, I thought this was a great phrase. Give people the will and the skill to improve, Yeah. right? So it's not just... Um, it's, it's not just being non-punitive. It's got to be more than that. It's got to actually be improving. And, and she talked about how you can, you can teach and foster continuous improvement. So it's, it's like the, I don't know, I've come to call it the two PSs, psychological safety and problem solving. Yeah. You need both. You need if both. all you have is like, it's okay to, to admit that it's red, and then constantly be admitting that it's red. Well, no, we need, we need to improve. Yeah. And, and, and I think she recognized the bigger problem was the psycho psychological safety, the transparency that comes along with that um, and is enabled with that. Um, of course, she still recognizes we have to go fix those problems, but, but you know, we have to start by identifying them and, yeah. and, and talking about them at a granular level, not just saying... You know, PG&E has a problem and we're working on it, but you know, this problem, that problem, the other problem, these are the problems we're working on. Uh, you need that granularity and, and there's, there's a sense that that's what, they're, that's what they're digging into. And then one other thing that stood out to me, um, I mean, she talked about leadership and people and she brought up the word love. Leading 
with love. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, there were two athletes there, mm-hmm. um, Peyton Manning um, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And, and she said, you know, she lo- it sounds like she loves sports. She loves the Golden State Warriors, even before she moved out to California. And there's a lot to admire there. But, you know, she said, well, athletes get to have this full expression of their emotions as they do their job. Why is that not allowed in other workplaces. And, yeah. and to me, there are dots that connect to the phrase respect for people or respect for humanity, that, mm-hmm. that people are emotional and to tell people to somehow turn that off yeah. at work, whether it's happy emotions or sad, frustrated emotions. I, I thought that was really provocative. Yeah, and, and I think she really lived that at CMS. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you would see it in her her, her deep connection to the employee base and, and, and their causes and their concerns. And, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, talking about, you know, how do we keep everybody safe? Because it is a danger, you know, there's nothing you can do uh, to, to make the, the work of utility um, inherently safe. She had a great phrase about that. Um, she said, the work is hazardous, but it doesn't have to be dangerous. Yeah. If we do the right things, if we communicate, if we have the right systems and procedures, I, I thought that was a great way of saying it. We could apply the same thing to healthcare. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can do hazardous things safely, right? Yeah. It's, you can't just eliminate the hazard. Um, that That's real. I mean, you have high voltages. You have... Uh, you know, high heights, you have uh, storm conditions, and fi- yeah. you have all sorts of things to deal with, but, but you know, a great, you know, how do we keep everybody safe? And that's part of that love. Mm. Um, and, and so you can see it, it's not just energy for her. Yeah. It's, it's like, this is, this is family. We spent a lot of time together. We're, we're, we're the best chance we all have of doing better. So let's have each other's back. Um, so, you know, I, I think her, uh, I don't think there's any way to fake that kind of emotional support mm. and engagement of her organization for that long. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, it's really genuine for her. And uh, part of that genuine, authentic um, set of comments there, um, you know, she talked about literally going to funerals of people who, died um, on the job and all of the love that gets expressed there. And, and she said, well, we, we, we should be able to express that love while people are still alive. And the best way to show that love is to help keep them safe. Yeah. And that seemed really sincere, really, really authentic. It's a big, big challenge, but it sounds like there's been some great progress. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's really interesting that, you know, in terms of that authentic, authenticity that you mentioned, you know, there's a book about um, PG&E that is just critical, right? It's like, hey, here's the truth about PG&E. Yeah. Um, that uh, is required reading. Um, California, uh, California Required reading, reading at the company, or you think for the listener required? No, no, no. I, I haven't read it yet, so oh, okay. I definitely don't want to recommend it because yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, required reading at the company. Mm. And... You know, it's one thing to kind of, oh, that, that person's a, a fear monger and they're just, you know, they're using our crisis and beating us up and picking yeah. on us. She said, no, 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 there's, there's honest things in there that we need to, we need to hear. Mm. 
And, and so she's made it required reading. And that's, I think, part of that, uh, part of that, I'll say part of that love, right? But this is, goes back to that Max Dupree quote, right? Mm -hmm. We have to define current reality. This author has helped to do it for us, so let's read it and uh, not pretend it doesn't exist or they're just out for a hatchet job. So yeah. I think that's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we've only talked here about two of the videos from, from that day. Um, I don't know, maybe in a future episode, maybe there's another video we can talk about. We'll talk about other things, but I would certainly, certainly encourage people, uh, look in the show notes, look at the link to the videos uh, in, in that series. So, you know, I really appreciate GE making that publicly available. I appreciate that I was able to be there in person. Um, I'm name dropping again. I got to meet and shake hands uh, with Wolfgang Puck <laughs> and um, talk to him briefly. And, you know, the, that spirit of continuous improvement seemed really strong with him. And, and let, let me share one story about him real quick. Of, of part, of, part of it is what he talked about on stage. He dropped out of school at age 14 to go be a professional cook and chef. Hmm. But you can just tell, like, the spirit of being a lifelong learner is still there. Yeah. And he met Larry Culp because Wolfgang Puck went to an executive ed program at Harvard Business School when Larry Culp was in between jobs at Danaher and GE. And um, the, the other thing though, so it, Wolfgang Puck was there the entire day because he, he had his team there cooking breakfast and making meals. Oh, and wow. <laughs> he, so he was there for that. And, but he was, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't next to him all day long or anything, but I, he was certainly there well beyond lunch. Yeah. Right? It's not like he bailed out once he was done on stage and the meal service was done. At one point, I saw him walking by and they were giving away books at the event. And I'm going to make an obnoxious little plug here that my book, The Mistakes That Make Us, was one of the books they were giving away. And I'm awesome. thankful for that. Um, but um, here, here's Wolfgang Puck walking by, carrying under his arm George Koenigsegger's book about leading the lead enterprise. I'm like, that's a fairly, you know, deep, hardcore, lean book. And um, I imagine he grabbed it because he's going to read it. And yeah. Like, how would he apply that um, to his business? He seems to have a lot of good instincts about leading people, keeping employees happy, engaging them. Uh, respecting people, respecting the customer. Um, but that, that, that's the thing that stood out to me. Not that moment of posing for a picture and eating some scrambled eggs with black truffle <laughs> shaved on top that his team um, had produced, but seeing him carry this George Koenigsegger lean book. I don't yeah. know if that's a book I would pick up and read. <laughs> To be honest, yeah, no, it's not. no offense to George at the book. No, but, but yeah, I it's mean. not the first one that, that makes the list or, or the easiest. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, it, it's easy once you have success, whether you're, you know, Larry Culp or Wolfgang or Peyton Manning, do you just kind of go, hey, I've, I've been successful. My job now is just to tell other people how to be successful. Yeah. Or do you, do you inherently keep learning? And, and I think, you know, I'll say one of my biggest interferes is to lose that desire to, to yeah. learn. Like, yeah. I just, you know, I, 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 there's a Henry Ford quote, 
I'm pretty sure it's Henry Ford. I always quite doubt myself once I'm quoting somebody, uh-huh. but I'm pretty sure it's Henry Ford. But he said, anybody who stops learning mm. is dead, whether they're eight or 80. Yeah. And, and that, like, that, that always sticks with me. I, I always mm. want to be on that, you know, keep challenging myself, keep learning. Mm. And, and so it's, you know, it, it's, it's great, you know, you, you can, I'll, another quote, this is Golden Mirror said, don't be humble, you're not that great, <laughs> which I also loved. And, and it's like, yeah, none of us are so good that we should turn off the learning and just lock in our knowledge. So I, I think events like this, you know, I'm not a great, I'm not great at learning in a conference. That's just, I'm not an auditory learner. Mm. I, I learn through debate and conversation and experience, but, but, you know, just the fact that this is pulled together is meant to say, hey, let's, let's keep learning from each other, right? And, and hey, we're gonna pull customers, employees, and suppliers together, let's, let's all be learning at the same time, yeah. so. Yeah, and Wolfgang Puck is 74 years old, so he's closer to that 80 yeah. mark. And, and, and again, I would encourage people, go watch his video. Um, there was so much great stuff from the day. Uh, leaders from Cleveland Clinic, uh, the CEO, uh, Dr. Tom Mahalovich, and uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Lisa Yarian, um, we're both on stage together talking about culture and lean mindset. And um, yeah, it was a really, really interesting, really powerful day. Yeah. Um, no whiskey distillers there, but maybe in the future. No. Well, it's New York. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, uh, maybe I mean, they, could, they could serve Manhattans, at least. Um, <laughs> I think that would be appropriate. But We'll find a lean bartender. I'm trying to think of New York distillery. Uh, Hudson Distilling. I don't know if there's any lean mindset in the way they do their work. But um, our friend David Meyer, maybe as we uh, we'll start wrapping up here. Yeah. Maybe so. talk uh, a little bit. Our friend David Meyer, who's popped in on this podcast a couple times and of course has lean mindset from his time at Toyota. Uh, you, you visited him again at, at Glens Creek. Yeah. I had a, a, a surprise block of time while I was sort of near, nearby, nearby being you know, 40 minutes away. But, um, and, and also importantly, I was out of, out of stock. Uh, <laughs> got to fix that. Uh, got to fix that. But, um, yeah, I, I love I love Glens Creek Distilling uh, Distillery stuff. I love David's work, and so we got to sit down and like any any conversation, experimentation, and uh, and, and and Kaizen. You know, he, he's he's always after continuing to learn, continuing to test, continuing to challenge, and and find a path forward that that works for him. So yeah. Um, you know, you, you sit down with them, you get to a little chat for a little while, and you're just going to get whatever's whatever's going on in his mind and in his process and his experimentations and his latest and greatest. Um, you get a sense from him that he's never going to stop experimenting and making making his product better. So, yeah. um, I would say that. Not the only good whiskey out there, but the only true lean whiskey out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, cheers to, to Dave and um, cheers to the good people down at Boone County Distilling. I poured a little splash of this. So I think we can finish up and actually toast 
and actually clink glasses across yeah, the table. Instead of pretending. To wrap up an episode. Any, anything else? Uh, any other? We didn't have a kind of fun wrap-up question this time. Did no, we? but I, I think we, we shared, you know, you got to be at this conference in person. This was not just us reading an article. Um, and, and so, you know, cheers to people who could literally rest on their laurels for the yeah. rest of their lives, continuing to invest in their own learning and the learning of others. Uh, and if our listeners fall into that category, cheers to all of you. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you for listening to Lean Whiskey. To learn more or find more episodes, visit leanwhiskey.com, spelled either K-E-Y or K-Y. You can also visit leanblog.org slash leanwhiskey or jflinch.com slash leanwhiskey. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We are very grateful for every rating, review, and follow. Until our next episode, cheers. Cheers.